Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for Ecclesiastes 2, he said this, A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Without God, no man can have enjoyment. I don't care how expensive the dinner. I don't care how much money you make. Without God, there is no true satisfaction. Understand that. Solomon, after all those dead ends, finally came to that truth. There was a song back in the 1980s titled Girls Just Wanna Have Fun that really could sum up the quest of almost all women and men these days. Is that your goal? To be in a position where there's no stress, where all your needs are met with some extra cash to have fun? The problem with that, as you'll find out in Pastor Mark's teaching today, is that fun isn't big enough to give lasting satisfaction. The truth is, there's only one lifestyle that will provide the contentment everyone's looking for. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Leviticus chapter 17 as he continues his message, The Power of the Blood. You see, it would be no good, all the things that he promises us, forgiveness of sin, would be no good unless we could what? Know that he actually died. So, look at verse 18. This is why even the first covenant was not put in effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. So what was it that activated? What was it that put the promise of the will into effect? The blood is what activated the old covenant. And the blood is what activated the new covenant. Now... And keep your finger right there and flip back to Exodus 24. A little bit of history. Good for you to go back and see how this works. There is a caveat with this. It isn't just the blood. If it was just some blood, you could get an animal and you could, like they believed in the old days, many people believed in the old days, if you took a person and you just bled them a little bit, you got rid of diseases. Well, it was foolish. It certainly wasn't true. So it isn't a matter, I couldn't take an animal and just and just cut it and, and pour a little bit of blood into a basin. No, it wasn't that. It's the 
taking of the animal's life because just bloodletting wouldn't activate the covenant. It wouldn't activate the will. So like a will, what's the proof of a will today? Well, it's a death certificate. In the individual who got her inheritance in England, a coroner, he had to what? Document that the man was dead. Of course, there was no body ever found. As he did that, he validated it, but it wasn't really true. Now, understand, under the law, the animal simply had to die. And when he died, that was proved by what? All the blood being what? Drained. That was the proof. The will could go into effect. Look at Exodus 24. Go down to verse 4. You see, Moses had said to the people, here's the law. The people said, we'll keep it, even though they couldn't keep it. They didn't have the power. And to ratify this covenant between God and Israel, notice what Moses does in verse 4. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in bulls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. So he gave all the laws, and the people responded, We'll do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. Of course, you know, talk is something. Doing it's quite something different. Verse 8. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So, half the blood went on the altar. That was God's part. Half of it went on the people. That was the signifying part of the agreement of the people. It's a covenant. The two together tied with blood. So the old covenant went into effect by animals being the substitute. That blood was applied physically. Now, when we move to the new covenant, it wasn't physical any longer. It was spiritual. Remember the new covenant, Jeremiah said we would have a new heart. It would be inside us. It would be a a heart of where it is, not on tablets of stone. Now, back to Hebrews 9.22. In fact, this is very interesting to show you how incredible God is. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, what does it mean, nearly everything? Well, God is such a gracious God. And there were some exceptions. We don't have to worry about in the New Testament. It's taken care of. But in the Old Testament, some people were just too poor. Look at God. And he knew. This is amazing to me. You know what we hear today is this. If you're going to be a Christ follower, you're going to be prosperous. You're going to have everything you're ever going to need. We never saw any of this in the Old Testament. We had people that were prosperous and the people that were poor. In fact, Jesus says in the New Testament, the poor you'll always have with you. So notice, what if I'm in the Old Testament and I can't bring an animal for my sins? I don't have the money. What do I do? Well, notice 
Leviticus 5.11. God says, if you cannot afford to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, so we're not talking about a goat or a sheep, we're talking about even the smallest, the least expensive animals, you may bring two quarts of choice flour for your sin offering. Since it is an offering for sin, you must not moisten it with olive oil or put any frankincense on it. So there was an exception in the Old Testament for the sin offering if you were too poor to bring it. But notice, you still had to bring an offering. You see, that's the beautiful thing. Now go back, you're in verse 22. Here's something that we quote over and over and over again in the church. Notice the last part of that verse. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What you want to remind yourself is we're not Old Testament. You don't have to worry about flour. We don't bring a blood offering. But without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness throughout the Bible. What does that mean? Well, why does there have to be shedding of blood? When you brought that little turtle dove, or that animal, let's go back to the history, there's life in the blood. When that animal's life was taken, the blood drained, you saw visually in front of you the seriousness of sin. You couldn't miss it. Now, why is God serious about sin? It's not that he's prudish. It's because he knows what sin does. We know what sin does when we look back on our lives. It kills. It kills happiness. It kills joy. It kills health. It kills life. It kills children. It kills families. It kills marriages. And eventually, it kills societies. And that's why the wrath of God. Everything we're studying in the end times is because of Sin. Sin is something that the Bible takes very seriously. Sin is sin. It's not whoops. It's not a shortcoming. It's not a mistake. It's not a weakness. It alienates a person from a holy God. So the wages of sin is death. The shedding of blood equals death. So forgiveness doesn't come because the penalty of sin is excused. It was always transferred onto the animal. So on the cross, your sin, my sin, still today, was transferred onto the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There isn't a person in this room that hasn't sinned this week. That was already paid for on the cross. By what? Death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. See, I can't become a Christian by being good enough. Because I can't take care of my sin problem. There's no way for me to do it. Now, what if I die? And many Christians are dying today throughout the world. What if I died? What if I actually took put me on the cross? Well, no good, because what? I'm not perfect. There had to be a perfect sacrifice. There's only one man that ever lived that. That was Jesus Christ. So the justice of God required payment. And Christ made the payment in full. Death certificate was given 
finished the benefits I now enjoy. Now, notice Jesus said this, Matthew 26, This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do for you and for me. Now, forgiveness is already paid. The reason we take it lightly, and I have to say that honestly, that we take sin lightly. I don't mean that we take it real lightly, but we do take it lightly. It's because it really was only very costly to God. Forgiveness is free to me. Now, I pay for the penalty of that sin. Because when I sin, there's always recourses. You're well aware of those. But from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible teaches one thing. The necessity of blood being shed for sin. So, why does the world not want to talk about it? Well, the world wants to not have... Many people today call Christianity a bloody religion. Well, they're right. But there's no forgiveness of sin without the blood. Now, it's not bloody like it was in the Old Testament. Now, that was a bloody religion. Can you imagine on the Passover, the blood that would flow? Incredible. So, let's just remind ourselves, why is he doing this? He's talking to people who have, in their past, done what? Sacrificed animals. The temple is still alive in Jerusalem. They've gone, probably, for one of the holidays. They've seen the animal die. And he's saying to these people, you don't ever want to go back to that. Now, is there anybody in this room that would like to go back to that? We don't even know what that means, but nobody in this room would want to go back to that. See, Christ is better. It's already done and paid for. So here's two things to write. Old Testament, temporary system. It was temporary. It was looking forward to the permanent that was coming. It wasn't people. It was animal sacrifices. When their blood was shed, life went out. The wages of sin is death. In the Old Testament, it only covered the sin, kofar. Never, ever got total forgiveness. Conscience could never be clean. So in the New Testament, I have a permanent solution now. Jesus' death. Once and for all, and it doesn't cover my sin, it removes the sin, and I have a clean conscience. I have a clean conscience till the next time I sin. And when I sin, the alarm goes off again. Doesn't have to be my wife telling me, or my husband, hopefully not the police officer. But the alarm goes off, and I ask forgiveness, as 1 John 1, 9 says. Now, look at Hebrews 9, 23. It was necessary then for copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself. This is very important you listen to this. This part is critical. Because many of us have friends that don't understand this verse. I'll make it very clear to you. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So we have a better sacrifice. One sacrifice was effective for how long? Forever. 
So, we have some people today, and you know who they are, and you might have a Catholic background, and we're not talking about Catholics. We know there's obviously many Catholics that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But see, the Mass is celebrated. It's called transubstantiation. The Mass is celebrated, the Eucharist, the bread and the wine. They believe that when you take communion, the bread and the wine actually turn into the blood and body of Christ again. And he is crucified again. Now understand what you just read there. There's not a continual sacrifice that takes place. It is not a perpetual suffering of Christ. He doesn't go through suffering again. Every time the Mass is celebrated, that's what they would say. But notice what the Bible says. It is exquisitely clear that Jesus Christ offered his body how many times? One time. And notice in this verse, verse 15, No, he didn't enter the heaven again and again and again and again. And he didn't suffer again and again. He suffered once and for all. So when we take communion, we don't believe that any of those things happen. Understand, we believe it's symbolic. Nothing mysterious happens to the bread and the wine. They remain the bread and the wine. On the night that Jesus gave his commandments about communion, there wasn't one individual in that room that thought the bread was an extension of his flesh. No one looked at the wine as if it was the blood of Jesus Christ. So they simply knew it was a picture, a symbol. And when we take communion, we don't believe it becomes anything other than the elements reminding us of the wonderful sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid for us. Once and for all, done, finished, repeated. He sits at the right hand of the Father to suffer never again. Important that you understand the difference. Now, maybe one of the greatest verses in the Bible is verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. You see, for our Buddhist friends, what do you do with that? You don't come back again. There isn't another opportunity. When you and I die, that's it. Now, I want you to finish this statement. The Epicureans made it many years ago. Eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow you what? You die. Well, they got that part right. That's true. But really, the true story of that is what? I want you to see the true story of this. 927 would say it this way. Eat, drink, be merry, for after death, comes God's judgment. That's the truth. Now, can I eat, drink, and be merry knowing that death's coming? Can you? Well, sure I can. Why? Because as a Christian, where have my sins already been judged? On the cross. The judgment's done. It's finished. The only judgment that's going to come for me is what I've done with my life. I'm already in heaven. When that judgment comes. Now for an unbeliever, that's very difficult. Solomon understood this. In Ecclesiastes 2, he said this, A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, 
Who can eat or find enjoyment? Without God, no man can have enjoyment. I don't care how expensive the dinner. I don't care how much money you make. Without God, there is no true satisfaction. Understand that. Solomon, after all those dead ends, finally came to that truth. So nothing has lasting value in my life. And that's God's at the center of my life. So if he is, then I can be in the Ukraine. I can be in a poor area. In a couple months, I'll be over in India. And I'll be over there teaching at the seminary. With these kids that have nothing. And the joy of the Lord's all over that campus. Hundreds of kids studying the word of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not about food and meat and all that. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Don't get me started. Amen? It is. And so I can eat. And I can enjoy life. I don't focus on dying. I know it's going to happen. You know it's going to happen. After that is the judgment. Absolutely going to happen. So for a Christian, that's a beautiful picture. Our penalty has been paid. We're at one minute. It's been covered, finished, over with, wiped out of my life. As far as the east is from the west, forgiven completely. That's a great thing. So I can enjoy life as God gives it to me. Look at verse 28. So Christ was sacrificed, circle the word. Good for you to remember. Again, you remember you're not dogmatic. You don't try to cause arguments. If the topic comes up, this is why we believe what we believe. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. How many people? The whole world. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That's a beautiful picture to me of the rapture. I'm waiting for him. He's coming back for us, John chapter 14. So I don't have any fear of dying. I don't want to die. I don't enjoy the process even thinking how that might happen. But I have no fear. Here's why. Last thing you need to write. When Christ's followers die, we will not be judged. For our sins. Paid in full. That's beautiful. I couldn't do it. I could never be good enough. Paid in full. Why? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The life is in the blood. That's why You and I can never remove the blood from the Bible. You do, no remission of sin. Dangerous to even play with it, even to think about it. So, Ephesians 1.7 says this, In Him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according with the riches of God's grace. Pastor Mark taught today how important it was that Jesus had to do more than suffer to pay the price for your sin. He had to die. You learned how serious the idea of sin, rebellion against God, is to God. Pastor Mark talked about how society mocks and dismisses the severity of sin and how Christ followers should reject that attitude and adopt God's point of view. You don't have to wait to hear another message from Lessons for Living. 
Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com to access our archive of messages on various topics and books of the Bible. Subscribe to our podcast as well to receive updated teachings as soon as they're made available. We're so glad you joined us today and we'd love to connect with you. Feel free to contact us with your questions and prayer requests at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. This wraps up Pastor Mark's teaching, The Power of the Blood. Next time, he'll begin his teaching, Enter In With Confidence. He'll be explaining how the tabernacle in the Old Testament worked and the restrictions that were on the people. You'll start to learn how this is way different than what's offered through Jesus and why his way is better. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God bless you. And together, let's do life right. in a hurry.